0: to get us started and then we'll circle back around and go into a couple of the Barna statistics, which I think are always helpful to let us figure out culturally where we're at. Uh but before we do let's ask the Lord to, to meet with us. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the wonderful service we had this morning. Thank you for the testimonies that were given. Thank you for the beautiful music. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God, which is so explicitly clear uh, about what's taking place today as well as what will take place in the prophetic future. So I pray that while we sojourn down here and uh, look at some of these very practical things that we've been looking at in this class, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, uh, help us to mold uh, our, if you will, beings, ourselves, our minds into a biblical worldview to where everything we say and do. Will bring glory and honor to you, so Father, meet with us now. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, I'm going to get rid of this because it's not working again. Just having all sorts of internet issues today. So, First Corinthians chapter nine, verse nineteen, uh, the Apostle Paul said, "For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all." That I might win the more. Paul basically was looking at the culture of his day, noting that there are, and we've got to be extremely careful how we exegete this passage because we can really get off into a, a wrong understanding of what it's saying. Paul was dealing with several different issues here culturally, and folks, Believe it or not, we're dealing with some severe cultural issues right now. I think most of us will say, yeah, no kidding. But let's take a look at where Paul is. He's, he's talking to the church at Corinth. Now, if I say Corinth, 99% of you have a pretty good, uh, uh, probably, analysis of the church at Corinth. Uh, just for sake, and, and you can feel free to talk back and forth. Again, You'll be on uh, uh, your audio might show up on the video. It may not. Your face will not. But uh, feel free to to talk back and forth, realizing though your voice could show up if that concerns you. Uh, but anyway, when we look at the church in Corinth, what were some of the issues they were facing? Nice and loud, and we'll I'll repeat them. What kind of issues were going on in Corinth, the church? Immorality. immorality. Okay, that's the first one that pops to mind. Horrible immorality. Why was that immorality there? What was going on? Why Why was the church struggling with? With uh, uh, being immoral, was the, culture. the culture. All right, so Corinth, the place itself, was a very, very pagan uh, place. They had a bunch of pagan temples, which encouraged uh, uh, temple prostitution. So basically, they had their religion was made up of. And with all, again, I try to be careful how we say it, but it's just point blank, and Scripture speaks to it. It was just a licentious, horrible, immoral place. Orgies were the common, temple prostitutes were common, and now you have a bunch of folks. So Paul comes into Corinth, preaches the gospel, and what happens? Well, folks get saved. Now, this speaks to one of the problems, and I'm, I'm going to rabbit trail for a minute, but on purpose. When someone gets saved, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who comes to dwell within them? The Holy Spirit, all right? However, even though the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within someone, do people automatically become perfect, Bible-thumping Christians? The answer is no. So we deal with this issue, and and again, I don't. We've I preached a message on um, lordship, salvation versus easy believism versus the truth, uh, which is kind of in the middle somewhere. Uh, the The issue is when folks get saved, God refers to them as mature adults in the Scripture. Yes or no? What does He call them? Babies in Christ, just like a little baby. All right. Now, many we've got some new babies in here. I got a new granddaughter. And uh, uh, you take the little baby and it can't eat very well on its own, like can't, uh, doesn't pick up a fork and knife, uh, basically 100% uh, reliance on mom and dad or whoever's taking care of the baby at the time. So it takes time. Now, do some babies mature quicker than others? Absolutely. And there's some that don't. I'm going to talk a little bit further into our discussion about Bailey, who's my 10-month-old granddaughter, Uh, but I don't want to go there quite yet. All right, so Paul said, listen, I'm free from all men. I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. What is he talking about here? And look at it from a cultural perspective. Paul is looking at what exists in Corinth and other places for that matter, and he's talking about winning people. Now, here's where we have to be a little bit cautious. Because Paul also is the one that makes it very clear as to how someone comes to Christ. When he's talking about winning people, and that's for a lot of where we get this concept of let's go what? Soul winning. It was a very strong term, mainly in independent fundamental Baptist circles for quite some time. Not used quite as much anymore because we've got, we, basically what came out of that fundamentalism was a wrong perception about who wins folks to Christ. Uh, does any person literally win someone to Jesus Christ on their own? No. We plant, we water, but who brings forth the increase? God does. So that's what Paul was referring to. He's like, I'm doing everything I can. I'm trying to uh, uh, preach the gospel the best I can that we might win folks to Christ. Well, he he's very aware, Paul is very aware that he couldn't do it on his own, that he needed the Holy Spirit to actually do that work. Now, here's, here's where the conflict comes in, and he's looking at it from his culture, and we're going to look at it from our culture in a moment. So Paul's saying to the Jewish people, the Jews, I became as a Jew. In other words, he respected who they were as a culture, as an ethnic group, and he said, listen, when I'm going to talk to a Jewish person, I'm going to talk to them in a manner which is not offensive, that they can't understand what I'm talking about, and not slam dunk them with something that they just totally oppose culturally we have to get in the right range to speak to them. So he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I what? I might win Jews to those, okay, now semicolon, next section, to those who are under the law. Who is under the law? Jewish people. So we're talking about the same group of people. They were steeped in Old Testament Judaism from the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law. So he said, when I'm talking to a Jewish people who still follow the law. They're still underneath the Mosaic law in their minds. Technically not, but in their minds they are. He says, I talk to them as if they were under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And Now he's going to switch into a different group of people, specifically non-Jewish Corinthians in this case. So he says, to those who are without law. In other words, the law which he's speaking about is the Old Testament Mosaic law. And I like to repeat this a lot because when we look at the Old Testament Mosaic Law, uh, if you went to virtually most people on the street that aren't Bible folks like us, and they may go to a denominational church, they may not, they may have some background, but they're not uh, a really... Trained, if you will, in what the scriptures contain. If you talk to the average person on the street, non Christian, and said, What is the law in the Bible? What do you think most of them would answer? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Now, by the way, the Ten Commandments are very strong, they're very powerful, and there's nobody on earth that's ever kept all ten. But here's the point the law was not the Ten Commandments only. How many, and here we go, for 25 points, let's see who can get this one. How many Mosaic Law commandments were there? All right, we got 400, 630-something. I heard, I think I did hear the right answer out there, 613. Six, hey, there's the winner, 25 points right there. Take that to Starbucks and only pay double for your coffee. All right. So, what do we have? 613 Old Testament commandments that were all part of the Mosaic Law. Now, here's, this is easy to remember. How many days are there in a normal calendar year? Well, I guess it isn't easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Normally, we say there's 365 days in whatever, the normal calendar, minus leap years and all that stuff. 365 days. So if you can remember that, you know how many negative commandments there are in Scripture. 365 negative, that is in the Mosaic Law, 248 positive. You might forget the 248, but the 365 you might. What's the point? Paul says to those who are without law, so the Gentiles, the Corinthians, if you will, which were made up mostly, I believe, of Gentile believers, did they follow the Mosaic Law? and they didn't follow any law. They were following paganism. Horrible, horrible situation. To those who are without law, basically the non-Jewish people as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22, Paul continues, to the weak, to the weak, I became as Weak, that I might win the weak. Now here's the statement, and here's the one we're going to spend a little time on as we go through this. The Apostle Paul said, I have become all things to all men that I might all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. So immediately what can come to a mind that isn't uh, uh, basically focused on what he's saying here, it's like, oh, okay, that means that if I want to win folks in the bar, I should go to the bar, get drunk along with the rest of them because then I can relate to them and win them to Christ. Thank you. That was very good. The answer, by the way, for those that couldn't hear it was, no. All right, very good. Uh, let's see, if I want to go downtown and win uh, 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 prostitutes to Christ, that means I should hang out with the prostitutes and get involved with them, and, uh, and then that makes it okay. Is that what the Apostle Paul is saying here? You no, know, he identifies the cultural issues. He's not saying go into deep sin so you can win folks that are in deep sin. Now, folks, I've, I've, I mean, many of you, as well as I, we've, uh, uh, you go on, uh, uh, and I did when I was at Moody Years ago, in the 74 to 77, we go down to the red light district. We'd get a bunch of guys together, girls together. We'd go down, hand out tracks. This was kind of in the hippie days of some sort. And uh, we'd stop people. We'd talk to them. You, know, you didn't go inside the brothels. you talked talk to them on the street. Uh, we went to bars. I've gone into places where there's uh, big, bad biker boys. I don't go in the bar and drink with them. You stand outside and talk to them. Uh, uh, and and you get involved in their lives. Did God say we shouldn't talk to those people like it's anathema? Don't talk to them people; they're horrible. No, uh, God. Who who? What what group of people did God say He hates? Don't raise your hand, Gail, because there aren't any. <laughs> Hopefully, you're going to say nobody. Sin. Well, He hates sin. That's true. Uh, and God does hate sin. Uh, that's very true. Uh, but because, but does God love all people? For God so loved the what? Were they saved before He went to the cross and died? No. Of course not. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the quintessential verse that everybody knows. So what are we talking about here, and why are we bringing this into our discussion? Uh, because if you take your hand out, we're going to go through that. I don't have this up on the screen. We're going to go through some of the issues that we're facing culturally. Now, folks, I, I just I can't stress this enough. Churches that decide to stay 100 years behind the times are not going to be able to reach the people in the current generation. If you want to get any church to the point where there's five people showing up on a Sunday morning, run things the way they did 100 years ago, and you will accomplish that goal. You say, well, I believe in old-fashioned fundamentalism. Well, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but you need to learn how to talk to people in this day and age, which is what Paul's talking about. You don't relate to people in 2022 the same way you did to folks in 1910. How many of you went to a ball game in in the uh, beginning of? <laughs> and I, I don't know if there's any here. How many of you ever gone to the ballpark when uh, baseball first started having baseball in? Uh, Stadiums. There's probably not a single one here. Oh, you did not. You're not that old. What was the attire that men wore to ball games back when the. Uh, no. This is exactly how they looked. I'm, d- I'm dead serious. I mean, most of you don't even know that, right? You went to a ball game, men dressed up in, in suits, not just the managers. I mean, every single person in the stands was dressed in a suit. Ladies wore dresses. Long, flowing dresses. That was the culture. Now, folks, what, what am I saying? If you try to reach people, it's not a matter of compromising. It's not a matter of diminishing what's right and wrong. But Paul's saying, listen, if you want to reach young adults, what are you doing to reach young adults today? And I have Bernard for young adults, and we're going to be uh, implementing a brand-new Sunday school class coming up uh, in September Specific to trying to reach young adults, not just here. I mean, most we know who comes here. But uh, we're going to lose a generation, folks. And I think we're doing about as good as you can do without getting into the contemporary scene right now and trying to, to reach young people. But there's things that have to change along lines if you're going to meet the current culture. So that's what we're looking at here. Let's take a look at this. Uh, one of the strengths of America for more than two centuries was the consistency of people's faith commitments. Not only did more than 9 out of 10 Americans associate with the same faith or Christianity, but that alignment brought with it common views about morality, purpose, family, lifestyle, citizenship, and values. But the dramatic erosion of shared Christian belief over the past 30 years is ushering in a number of rapid and radical changes in the relatively stable major religious alignments of America, according to a new research from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Folks, if we want to have a 1,000 young people in here tomorrow, we can do it. But are you willing to pay that price? You say, well, are you? The answer is no. You want to have a thousand young people here tomorrow? I can bring in the hottest rock Christian band in the country and we'll have a thousand people here easy. We'll have so many people you can't get them in the parking lot. You say, is that where we're headed? No, it's not. Because the other issue that comes along with the way current Christianity is running is called cultural Christianity. So you put 1,000 people in an auditorium, or 2,000, or 5,000, or 10,000, or 20,000, or 50,000 in some stadiums, and you'll fill it up. You'll have people standing up, waving their arms, getting emotional, getting totally involved in the, in the emotion of the moment, and those 50,000 people empty out of the stadium and go live the same kind of life that the Corinthians lived. So you say, well, I thought you just said we have to become more modernized in how we reach people. We do, but not like that. So what, what am I saying? What we're seeing happening and why we're seeing a, a, a much, much harder to reach young adults, young families, young couples, now we're reaching some. So what do you do? How do you respond to this? Now, I know a lot of I'm watching your faces, it's like, well, where are we going with this? I have some things of where we're going, but I don't have all the answers. You see, how do you maintain a biblical standard and not compromise those standards and be able to reach the current culture? So it's like, well, how do we modify things? What do we need to look at? And that's exactly what this is talking about. Let's go down to the bullet points. The latest findings from the American Worldview Inventory 2021, again, fairly recent things, identify a number of major shifts in the United States' religious landscape. What do they include? Number one, dramatic changes in the faith of American Hispanics with a decrease in the number of Hispanic Catholics accompanied by a sharp increase in Hispanic don'ts. Now, they obviously did a survey among many of the Hispanic people, which are traditionally what uh, um, mainline denomination to most Hispanics, I, and I use that loosely. The majority of Hispanics usually associate with what r- mainline denomination? The Catholic group, right? All right, so this isn't a, a, a diss on the people. What it's showing, though, is there's a change. Well, why is that change happening even in, the, in that community? Fast growth bullet point two in Islamic as well as Eastern and New Age religions is pulling people away from what we do here, which is Bible-believing Christianity. So there's another group that, that we're struggling with about uh, uh, considering why is Islam growing? Why are Christians saying, well, we're, we believe in, uh, I forget how they say it, uh, Chrislamic or something like that. Anybody remember the word? Islam. Yeah, okay, why, why are we mixing uh, Christianity with Islam? Well, because the culture says mix it, bifurcate it, syncretize it. Every, there's more than one way uh, to, to uh, reach folks uh, uh, for God, whoever God is. If you don't know who God is, you got a problem. Allah and God the Father are not synonymous. They're two totally different concepts. Uh, Allah is not Jehovah. Jehovah is Jehovah's, and Jehovah is Jehovah, period. Okay? Uh, a, con- a consistent 30-year decline in both Christianity and confidence in religion. Well, why is there a decline? You want to know why? Because grandpa and grandma started slipping, then mommy and daddy started slipping, and all of a sudden the culture started slipping, and it's like, well, my kids do this and my kids do that, and we no longer hold a standard at home. Yeah, I'm gonna go there. And then deacons meeting. It's not bad. It's good actually. And a couple of the deacons said, Man, it's like in Iwana. We got second and third graders that can't read a lick of words. Can't read at all. I mean it's like back when and is Valerie in here? I think she's with somebody. Oh, there you are. Uh when me and her went to college and uh, uh we had a book that we had to read many of you probably did why she and I, she and I. She and I. What did I say? Her. <laughs> All right you grammar freaks. Yes. What is what's the right way? Yeah, that's what I said. She and I. <laughs> I just check it. Uh that's why I have an editor, by the way. Uh so she and I, my dear wife. We're talking about a book we read back in college. And I know I'm not telling you what year it was, but uh, the, why Johnny can't read. Why, why can't Johnny read? Well, because they went from uh, phonics to see and say and all that other nonsense that doesn't work. So we have kids that can't read. So the deacons are like, man, you know, this is terrible. We got kids that can't read. And, uh, uh, I'm, and, and one person said, well, I'll, I'll tell you what. How about if we offer money to read better? And I'm like, well, you know, that might be an incentive to kids, but that's not going to work. You know what is going to work? Huh? Well, you're getting close. Phonics is definitely part of it. Thank you! Who said it? Thank you, Mary. When mom and dad decide they want their kids to read and they'll spend the time, sit down with them and teach them to read, they'll read. You say, well, I don't have the time. Then your kid's not going to read. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. It's pretty true. Folks, uh, the school wasn't, uh, uh, if they're going to do the see and, say and not do phonics and not teach your kids to read of course, they're not going to read it second grade, third grade. There's people that are illiterate in the uh, much higher than third grade. Well, I'm throwing this out there. There's been a lot of chat about, well, should we start a Christian school? Well, folks, uh, again, if you got $500,000, a million I'll be happy to start it tomorrow, but we don't so here's what I'm putting out there and I, and I am going to recommend this and I believe we are going to do it if you have a child that can't read or needs tutoring we're going to start tutoring for children who can't read right here and yes you are going to pay for it a small amount for the teacher that will teach your child to read that's been going to public school or maybe even been homeschooled and the child can't read will teach them how to read that's a cultural issue Say, I got dead silent. Like, really? You're going to do that? Yeah, I'm going to do it. If I got to do it myself, I'm going to do it. So if you're a teacher and want to be part of that, and uh, we'll advertise it, we're going to have basically a tutorial school for reading. That's it. No science, no math, no recess, no lunch, no gym. Bring your kids here, and they sit down, and they'll be asked to learn their phonics and to read for one to two hours at a session. And your children will read. Now, most of your children can read. I have no idea who these kids are, but man, it was just like, and I've got seven minutes and I'm off on a tangent. All right, let's look at this. A surplus, or surprising, yeah, surplus, a surprising increase in belief in reincarnation even among Christians. All right, that's Eastern mysticism sneaking in. Belief in the existence of God as the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe still rules the world today. See, he got me so messed up, and I can't talk. 86% in 1991, 46% in 2021. Belief that the Bible is the accurate and reliable word of God. 70% believed it in 1991, 41% in 2021. So let's go down to the bottom paragraph uh, below the bullet points. The United States has become one of the largest and most important mission fields in the world, Barna said. We are faced with a young adult population that is breaking the established patterns. They do not embrace many of the core beliefs and behaviors that characterize those who came before them. Barna explained, this new America we see emerging is radically different, demographically, politically, relationally, and spiritually. It is a young, non-white, mobile population. This group is largely indifferent to the United States and is demonstrably skeptical of the nation's history, foundations, traditions, and ways of life. Now, he put it in non-white terminology. This is cultural. It's not just non-whites. It's whites as well. We're suffering through this with American white kids as well as uh, those, if you will, of color. Barnes suggested some new avenues for ministry to pursue. Become a or because a worldview is developed within y- when people are young, it is imperative that churches focus on and invest most heavily in reaching children and equipping their parents. Well, folks, if, if parents aren't willing to show up and go to a, a church, which many of them are not culturally, it's a tough thing to get young people in the church today. They're disenchanted. They believe the church has failed them. So it's like, well, how in the world do we reach them? Well, how do we do that? Because the Bible is increasingly rejected as a trustworthy and relevant document of life principles. We must reestablish the reasons for its validity and reliability. Excuse me for keep reading, but this is good. Page two, given that most young Americans view success as, as whatever produces happiness or satisfaction, we'll have to address the emptiness and inadequacies of a life devoted to self and our fluid emotions. And without a solid foundation of truth among which choices can be made, a society is doomed to hardships, failures, and conflicts. Go down to where it says six reasons young Christians leave churches. Reason number one, churches seem overprotective that's number one in other words uh, you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that do this don't do that they've, gotten, they've, they've looked at church as nothing more than a do's and don't scenario instead of understanding the deep things of scripture folks that's why we teach the word of God here that's why I don't preach uh, uh, 52 weeks on why you shouldn't wear horn rimmed glasses you say come on man I'm not kidding there's churches like that that exist Uh, why you should wear this, why you shouldn't wear that. Do's and don'ts, never get into the Word of God, don't know any doctrine, don't talk about creation, can't prove uh, 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 how God created things. They don't know the Bible. And all they do is get yelled at 52 weeks a year, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. You say, well, Brother Rich, why don't you do that? Because I don't believe it's biblical. Now, do we have standards? You betcha. But standards come out when you do exegetical preaching. Number two, teens and 20-somethings' experience of Christianity is what? Shallow. And you know what I say, they're absolutely right. I agree with them. It's shallow. When you come to church, and uh, they're used to going into many of our Bible and and Baptist churches, pastor opens up the Bible, reads one phrase, and then preaches for 30 minutes on uh, do's and don'ts. And they're like, man, well, all you tell me is what I should and shouldn't do. I shouldn't date him. I shouldn't date her. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. And it's shallow. There's no Bible. There's no doctrine. There's 12 major doctrines in the Scriptures. There's 66 books, 31,000 verses. There's a ton of material in the Scriptures, but these kids don't know it. Well, if you don't know it, why bother showing up? If you don't understand that, that uh, uh, evolution is a fable if you don't understand theistic evolution is a fable, if you can't go to Exodus chapter 20 and pull out where God said that God made the, and I messed up on this a couple of weeks ago, I gave the wrong verse, I think I said uh, 20, 20 or 20-something. 20 go in your Bibles Exodus 20 because we're all going to look at it together so you remember it. Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, no, Genesis, what is it? Exodus, there we go. Exodus chapter 20. Verse, there it is. Uh, let's see, Exodus chapter 20, how about verse 11? I think I said 12 or something last time, and I was beating it up, man. I was going to town, and I was doing it wrong. Exodus twenty eleven. Everybody hear it? All right, whoa, I guess I scared myself. All right, for in six days, in six literal days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, and rest of the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. How many days did it take God to create the heavens and the earth according to Exodus twenty eleven. Now, if you go to the secular school, you go to the books that you may be using even in your own home, and they talk about the Big Bang Theory, they talk about theistic evolution or other things, and your children are listening to this. And they go to school or they go to their friends or they go to somewhere and some one of their kids says, Well, that's ridiculous. Don't you understand that the big giant telescope that just came out, that just went live a few days ago, and the giant satellite, shows the billions of years that this universe has been in existence. And God says in six literal 24-hour days, I did all my creation. Yes, it may look like things have been there for a billion years, but God is able to do that. So either God's Word is true or it's not. If we can't get our children culturally to understand what truth is starting in genesis 1 1 you're never getting to genesis chapter 2 why would you it's all phony it's all false you don't know what you're talking about it's shallow can you prove what you believe to your children can you prove what you believe to the 20 year olds and the 30 year olds and that's what god's talking about here all right very quickly Uh, Number four, young children's church experiences related to sexuality are often simplistic and judgmental. (laughs) Folks, the Corinthian culture was steeped in immorality. The American culture is steeped in immorality to a degree like never before. Not only are we talking about males with females as it was back in the good old days, committing immorality, now you don't even know, our children don't know, and I know you know, but our children literally, and I mean literally because I talk to them, they cannot tell you what they are. We have girls, we have boys that do not know what they are because they've been being told, well, are you a girl or a boy? I, mm. We're out of time. I'll, I'm going to close with this and then one verse. <laughs> so, if you watched on the internet, or I don't know if it was on a news show. I think it was on. Maybe it was on Fox. So every now and then, Valerie and I will watch a couple of clips at night on Fox. So you have a lady that's testifying. What was the school, Valerie? You remember? She was a at nice and loud. I can't hear. She's a professor at, I believe, Berkeley. 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 All right, so we have this female testifying, and I, I look like a female to me. And uh, 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 she, she's being, she's at a, a congressional hearing, and she's testifying. Maybe you saw this. And, and uh, uh, she said, do you believe males can have babies? And the congressperson or whoever it was said, well, absolutely not. She says, well, see, you're one of those people. You homo, and it just starts going off on him. What do you mean males can't have babies? You don't believe in transgenderism, do you? You're one of those people. And she starts ridiculing him and getting into his grill, if you will. She says, don't you understand that if a female decides to become a male, that that male can now have a baby? Now, it's ridiculous to us, it's funny to us, but folks, this is the culture your children are growing up in. And it's not funny to them. They honestly believe this stuff. So listen, when we're, when we're dealing with these issues, and again, I'm out of time, I'll be done in two minutes, if you got to go, you got to go. When we're dealing with that in our culture, you say, Brother Rich, how, don't you get scared to death when you talk about these things and bring them public? Shame on me if I don't bring them public. If somebody doesn't take a stand, if we don't start getting back on fire for God, if we don't start speaking truth, just watch the next generation fade away and never show up in church again. Folks, that's the generation we're dealing with. That's the, oh, I'm trying to control myself. That's the sloppy cultural Christianity that's going on all across the country today. And we're going to lose the next generation of young people, they're going to end up in this mess. They're not going to show up in church because this is not what they've learned. So what's the answer? Folks, we've got to get away from simple cultural Christianity. If this is going to work now, let's go to the last verse here. Therefore, James says, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, And be doers of the what? The word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If you saw three things, three different colors, don't compromise truth, morality, and ethics. Folks, if we don't stand firm, we will simply fall for everything. Your children will go to the devil eventually. You will not see the next generation in a church, but maybe in some country club uh, a place that calls it a church, and that's where we're headed. You say, well, what's the answer? Me and you getting out there and doing what God asks us to do, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Know you not, my dear friends, that you are God's what? Ambassadors. You say, are you mad at us? No, you're the good folks. <laughs> you got the answer. You showed up today. You're the ones that want to do this. And God says, I need you. I need us, folks, like never before. Stand firm. Oh, speak the truth in what? Speak the truth in love. Be kind to folks but don't you dare compromise. If your kids can't read, you sit their rear ends down on that chair just like my daddy and my mama did with me, and you say, son, don't move till you can read that passage. And I say, I like to study. My dad says, you want something else, son? (laughs) That's back when you could uh, punish. (laughs) I'm not going there. What are we going to do with our kids? What are we going to do with our 20s? What are we going to do with the folks that we come into? Are you going to stand firm? Father, thank you for this time. Lord, it's tough. It's hard. We're in a culture that's going the same way the Corinthians went, and even worse. Father, will you help us to stand firm in love, speaking the truth in love, but helping folks. Go down the path. Help us not to be complacent about studying the Word. Help us not to get stuck on do's and don'ts, but help us to get into the Word of God, to learn doctrine, to learn uh, the Word of God, to understand the future, to understand the present, to understand who God is, to understand who the Holy Spirit is, to understand what the church is, to understand how to get saved, to understand the many other doctrines uh, uh, confined inside the wonderful Word of God. So, Lord, help us to go out like a mighty army. Help us to invest the proper time so that we might be good soldiers of the faith. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for sticking around. Have a great afternoon. If you can be here 6 o'clock tonight.